Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and you are listening to Keeping the Faith. On this podcast, you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. Keeping the Faith is brought to you without ads or commercial interruption of any kind, except for this one invitation. I have friends who are inspired by what they hear from Keeping the Faith, and those friends support my work. But you can support this podcast as well by buying me a coffee. Buy Me a Coffee is a tiny little link where you can throw a few bucks into my tip jar and keep me busy behind the counter serving up the best episodes I have to offer. Simply go to buymeacoffee.com slash McBrayer, and you can easily and securely donate to the cause. You can also go to my website, ronniemcbrayer.org, and click on Podcast. You will find several ways to lend a hand, and you can also choose your favorite listing platform, be it Apple, Podbean, or Spotify, so that you will never miss a single life-changing, day-making, death-defying episode. Thank you for being a regular listener. There's a preaching joke about a long-winded pastor who routinely spoke for almost an hour. During one such notorious exegesis, a man gets up in the middle of the sermon and walks out. He returns to the sanctuary just a few minutes before the pastor is done preaching. The pastor finds him after service. Where did you go during my sermon, he asked. And the man says, to the barber shop to get a haircut. And the pastor says, why didn't you just do that before the service started? And he answered, I didn't need a haircut before the service started. I don't usually talk that long. 25 minutes or so will get it done, and sure enough, I'll go longer than that today just because I've said this. But my wife has had two haircuts since I began this series on surrender a couple of months ago. And if you're keeping track, you've had enough time to learn a new musical instrument, to get your realtor's license, to break a bad habit that only takes 28 days, I'm told. Lose 15 pounds, get a new job, or recover from hip replacement. But I hope you've taken some time to deeply think about this whole idea of surrender. I've taken all these weeks not to pass the time, but to share what I have found to be absolutely essential. Essential to spiritual formation, essential to your overall well-being, and essential to your personal freedom and liberation. Try something different. Surrender. Subtitled, Let Go or Be Dragged. Release your grip. Climb down from the captain's chair. Hand over the steering wheel. And I know this is hard to do. It hurts to surrender, but it is supposed to hurt. The pain drives you into a corner, be it physical, emotional, or spiritual, and it's all of this tug-of-war and chaos, but that is God doing God's work. 
That is reality bearing down on you. That is Jesus' invitation to you to take up your cross and to follow. And when you grow tired of what feels like a beating, then the beating can stop. When your stony and rocky heart begins to break, the first wildflowers can grow. And when the attachment to all that is harming you is broken, then you can begin to be free. This will take longer than the time it takes to get a haircut. Longer than a couple of months of sermons. It is a daily exercise that will be with you your entire life. Because there is always something else we must learn to let go of. No matter what stage of life that we find ourselves in. When you ain't got nothing, you got nothing to lose. Bob Dylan wrote when he was in his 20s. Four decades later, he wrote... When you think you've lost everything, you find out you can always lose a little more. As Corey Ten Boom taught us last week, hold your hands open like this, and it will make it easier when you have to let some things go. And that is the work. That is the spiritual discipline, the true and living way to find peace. Your ego, your control, your rights, your way, your attachments, your addictions, your loved ones, your past. We've talked about all of these in the final installment today, your future. You must let go of it as well because it is completely out of your control anyway. First to Paul in Philippians 3, 12 through 16. I have not yet reached my goal and I am not perfect. But Christ has taken hold of me, so I keep on running and struggling to take hold of the prize. My friends, I don't feel that I have already arrived, but I forget what is behind and I struggle for what is ahead. I run toward the goal so that I can win the prize of being called to heaven. This is the prize that God offers because of what Christ Jesus has done. All of us who are mature should think in this same way. And if any of you think differently, God will make it clear to you. But we must keep going in the direction that we are now headed. And then James 4, 14 through 15. What do you know about tomorrow? How can you be so sure about your life? It is nothing more than mist. That appears for only a little while before it disappears. You should say, if the Lord lets us live, we will do these things. These things being whatever plans that we are making. And finally, Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. You don't have a slide for this. It's a single line, Matthew 6, 34. That seems about right. It's a line at the end of Jesus' teaching on worry. And it does seem like worry and the future go together, don't they? And Jesus says this. Don't worry about tomorrow. It will take care of itself. And then the zinger. You have enough to worry about today. From these three voices, take away three things about letting go of the future. Three voices, three things... And we begin with Jesus. Today is enough, Jesus says. It's enough. 
Invariably, Cindy and I will have these wide-ranging discussions about the future. And I'm sure you have them in your home. And if you aren't married or you don't have a partner, you have these discussions with yourself. What if this happens, then we'll have to do that? What about that scenario? How will we face X if Y occurs before Z? What about the kids? What are they going to need? What about our parents? What's your mom going to do? What's my dad going to do? What will you do if I'm not here? It is endless because the possible future outcomes look a lot like a flowchart built by a chimpanzee. At some point in these conversations, and they aren't fruitless conversations, they can be very helpful. I'll usually deliver the same line, a true word, even if I can't always live by it. I will say something like, I think, as my grandmother would say, we are borrowing trouble from tomorrow. We got all we can say grace over right here. There's this Zen parable about a man walking through the jungle and he disturbs the sleeping tiger. I first heard this tale from Brendan Manning. And the man, of course, jumps into a run and he comes to this great cliff. The tiger is bearing down on him and there is this one vine that's over the edge of the cliff and he grabs hold of the vine and begins shimmying down the face of this rock cliff. But it's not nearly long enough to get to the bottom and so there he hangs. The tiger is above him. He can't reach the ground. And he's hanging there and just as he's thinking about his predicament, this mouse comes out of a, of a little cave in the face of the, of the rock and begins to gnaw away at the vine to which he is clinging. And it's then that he sees this big, magnificent, red, plump, beautiful strawberry growing out of the side of the mountain. And he reaches out and he plucks this strawberry and he pops it into his mouth and he says, Oh my God, that's the greatest strawberry I've ever had in my life. And the story ends. Because that's what Zen people do. They never answer questions. They leave you with questions. The story ends, the man is left hanging, but the lesson goes on. Manning would say, the Zen masters would say, that if he had been focused on his past, that tiger above him, if he had been focused on what might be his future below him, even if he had been focused on his vanishing moment, that little mouse chewing away at the vine, he would have missed the joy and splendor of being right there, right then. And that is a lesson for all of us. Right now might not be your greatest moment, but right now is all you have. There is, we know this, no future in the past, right? There's not even a future in the future, because we're not there yet. And when you get there, you will be a different person then than you are now. So whatever you concoct about whatever is going to happen in the future, today is enough. Directly related to this is the instruction of James. 
These instructions should sound the same though. James is the younger brother of Jesus. For all of our Son of God speak, and it's right, these boys were raised in the same home. They received the same education. They arrive at the same place. They sound a whole lot alike. Where Jesus says today is enough, James provides the corollary. Not only is today enough, tomorrow is out of your hands. His words are few. They're nimble. You don't know anything about what's going to happen next. Your life is just like a mist. Here one minute and it evaporates the next. And anything that might or might not happen tomorrow has to be left in God's hands. So make your plans. That's a good thing. Set some goals. That's a good thing. Use some common sense. Apply some hard-earned wisdom that you've earned over time. You're going to need all of that. And then when all of your plans are made, and all of your goals have been adapted to catchy little website catchphrases, and you have wisely and sincerely anticipated every possible outcome, make sure it's all written down in pencil. Because nothing is going to happen the way that you think it will. I said last week, 30 years ago this week, I was ordained 30 years. And if you had told me standing there that night in that church, this is what's going to happen in your life over the next 30 years, I would have played in traffic. You probably would have too. Go over the last decade, two decades, three decades, four decades, five decades, I'll stop there. But you keep going, and you'll look at your life, and you'll have those moments where you will say, my God, how did we live this long? This summer I've been meeting with uh, several couples who are getting married in the coming year. And only one of those, two of those meetings have been actually face-to-face. They've mostly been handled by phone, FaceTime. And do you know what most of these couples have in common besides getting, getting married? All of them have had to make drastic changes to their wedding plans because of the COVID-19 pandemic. They have changed venues. Some have changed entire states. They have all moved their dates once, twice, one couple, three times. They have changed who is going to be in their wedding party because COVID has taken from them friends and grandparents. Now, for the most part, even in regards to the grief, these couples have rolled with the punches. And it helps that wedding venues and wedding planners and wedding photographers are rolling with the punches too. But I have this one couple in particular, and one bride in particular, that I have been talking to, and I just don't know if she's going to get happy about getting married. Because apparently for her wedding, she had a particular date, a particular place, a particular time of the year, that she and her mom had been planning on for probably a decade, and they were just waiting for the right groom to come along. He did. But it's ruined all of her planning, this pandemic has. They're going to have to do it differently. And each time we have met, she seems, like I said, genuinely in love with this man, and he is definitely in love with her. 
But she has this lingering regret, and I see it, and I hear it, not about him, but because things aren't going to work out the way that she had planned. And the last time I was talking to her, I basically gave her the sermon I'm giving you today. I even told her the story of the tiger and the strawberry. And I ended the conversation by saying something like, this is just how it is. Life is unpredictable, it's unplannable, it's unexpected, and marriage, just like the wedding, is no exception to the rule. Your kids won't turn out the way that you want them to be. Your career will not go in the direction you think it will. Your checkbook won't be as fat as you thought it should be. And most everything you can think of sticks to this sort of pattern. You can't hold on to how you think it ought to be or how you think it should be, you will risk enjoying and living out what you actually have. Let that go. And you might be happier. And I would say that to all of us, not just to her. And the last word, today is enough, Jesus tells us. Tomorrow is out of our hands, says James. And Paul lets us know That this is not going to be easy. Tension is to be expected. It is a struggle to hold things loosely. Especially your future. Can I have the slide with Philippians again? Look at how these words pile up. I've, I've not reached my goal. I'm not there. I'm not perfect. I keep on. I struggle. I haven't arrived I struggle, he says again. I run. All of this letting go, all of this forgetting and surrendering the past while not strangling your future, this striving, this struggling, man, it's tough. It's tension. It's a constant workout to stay in that place of surrender. I have to keep reminding myself, Paul is saying, that I'm not in charge. I have to keep Letting go. Paul uses this unique word in the original language. The only time it is ever used in the entire New Testament. It is what we might call a completely secular word. We might say because it's not found anywhere else in the Bible. And it's where we get our English word elastic. When he says I struggle. He is saying I am stretched. I am pulled, pulled toward the future to be sure, but Paul is also caught in the tension tension of giving all of this over to God. He wants to hold on, he wants to control, he wants to dictate his own future, but he also knows that those wants will get in the way of what could be and what will be. And don't we all feel that way? We all want certainty. We all want to know that we know that we know that we know. We all want to eliminate surprises and the unexpected. Of course we do. But that is impossible. We are left living with tension. And that just might be a synonym for faith. To live in this tension 
of doing the best we can with what we have, but recognizing that if we hold on to it too tightly, it will only drag us down. It won't set us free. A final story, and I hope it captures so much of all I've tried to say, not just this morning, but for weeks now. It's a story of Chinese origin, and it's called The Old Man and His Horse. I'll read a version of it for you. Once there was an old man who, although poor, he was envied by all, for he owned a beautiful white stallion. A horse like this had never been seen before. It was a treasure. People offered insane prices for the animal, but the old man always refused, saying, this horse is not a horse to me. He is my friend. How could you sell a friend? One morning he found that the horse was not in his stable. All the village came to see him. You old fool, they scoffed. It would have been better to have sold the animal. Now the horse has been stolen and you have been cursed with misfortune. The old man responded, don't speak so quickly. Say only that the horse is not in the stable. Only God knows the rest. And the people of the village only laughed. Some days later, the horse returned. He had not been stolen. He had only run into the forest. And not only did he return, he brought a dozen wild horses with him. All the villagers came out again. Old man, you were right, they said. You have been blessed with incredible fortune. And the man responded, don't speak so quickly. Say only that my horse is back. And with him these other animals too. Because only God knows the future. And again, they called him a fool. The old man's only son began to work the horses, breaking them so that they could be useful and maybe sold. He fell from one of the horses and broke both his legs. And you know what happened. All the villagers came out to talk about it once again. Those horses were not a blessing, they said. Those horses are a curse. Your only son is now broken, and now in your old age you will have no one to help you. It's worse for you now than ever. And the old man said, Don't speak so quickly. Say only that my son broke his legs. Who knows if it is a blessing or a curse? Only God knows the future. Then it so happened that days later, the king engaged the country in a war against its neighbor. All the young men of the village were drafted to join the army. Only the son of the old man was excluded because he was injured. And once again, the people gathered around the old man, crying and weeping because their sons were gone. And there was little chance that they would return. The enemy was strong. The war would be a losing struggle. They would never see their sons again. You were right, old man, they wept. This proves it. Your son's accident was a blessing. His legs may be broken, but at least you have him. And a final time, the old man said, It is impossible to talk to you people. You only draw firm conclusions about things that cannot be known. Say only this. 
Your sons are not now with you. Mine is. No one knows if it is a blessing or a curse because only God can know the future. Leaving that future in the hands of the only one who can know is what surrender is all about. You have been listening to Keeping the Faith, the podcast home of yours truly, Ronnie McBrayer. You can follow me on Facebook or Twitter, whatever your socialization preference may be. At Ronnie McBrayer will get you there in either case. Visit my website at ronniemcbrayer.org, and there you can stay up to date. On my speaking schedule, books I have written, projects just over the widening horizon, and yes, you can find out more about me than anyone truly wishes to know. Thanks to Shutterstock Incorporated, located in New York City's Empire State Building, no less, for producing and licensing my theme music. Bobby Rains provides recording and technical expertise. Tim Riles created the Keeping the Faith logo and artwork. And Lynn Sunshine on My Shoulder Pro is credited with any and all photography. And as always, Toby and Mo, the two small wonder dogs that run my home, assisted with all editing. I'm Ronnie McBrayer. This has been Keeping the Faith. And I thank you for listening.